All right, everyone. How are you doing? I am Sergio from the Doctoral Podcast International Series, and here we have another neighbor from up north. Let him know who you are, man. I'm Victor Gravilli, uh, former head coach of Team Canada, and I've been coaching dodgeball since 2008. 2008, and where did you start? Yeah, I, my coaching journey in dodgeball began uh, with Humber College, where I still coach today, uh, coaching at the Lakeshore campus. Uh, and since the, as of 2015, became the uh, men's and women's head coach for Team Canada and also currently the coach uh, of the Mavericks Toronto Dodgeball Club for the past few years here as well. Definitely an extensive pedigree, but um, let's get to, uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, just to, for my understanding, did you start the Dodgeball Club in Humber or was it already established and then you took on took it on to coach? Yeah, it was already established. I mean, I was pretty fortunate when I, I was a student at the time and, and dodgeball was definitely this big intramural-esque um, type of play. There was a lot of drop-in nights. It was very big, within, popular within residence night. So I, I kind of stepped into an already existing dodgeball community. At the time, uh, it was just students at Humber playing against each other. They weren't yet traveling to other schools or playing against other teams. So I was stepping into an environment that was already – pretty established um when i was in second year uh it was uh the opportunity opened up where some of our colleges in the province were going to compete against one another and they were looking for a coach uh i happened to take quite a huge interest in dodgeball uh and uh it became the unlikely marriage it wasn't uh, it wasn't something i was ever going to stick to be honest with you it wasn't something i was ever going to stick with uh i had agreed to just run their tryout uh, and then, long behold, uh, over a decade later, uh, I'm still around. <laughs> so you said it was an unlucky marriage, right? Uh, it was. Uh, it was not necessarily unlucky. It was an unlikely marriage. Unlikely. But, uh, okay, so it was unlikely. an unlikely marriage. What was it about it that made you go from you know what? I'm just going to kind of help with their tryouts and get it out of the way, and maybe even do a couple drop-ins to I'm going to coach this thing and show our province that number is number one. Yeah, I mean, well, taking a step back from it, in high school, I was involved in coaching volleyball for, for a few years there. So coaching was definitely something I was interested in. I was, I was, I was pretty raw at it. I grew up with a twin brother who was the athlete of the family. Spent a lot of time uh, on the sidelines in all the sports that he played, sort of just analyzing and, and being a part of sport in any way that I can. So when I arrived at Humber, um, I wasn't playing dodgeball, but I was definitely showing up to these dodgeball nights and just sort of evaluating and, and watching and just having a good time and just looking at it from that perspective. Um, weekly, I kept coming out and then eventually just started sharing some opinions and thoughts on what, you know, what, what things could look like. And if you go back to 2008, like, there was no dodgeball practices. There was no drills. There were no exercises. There was no... Uh, you know, anything that was technical. So it was just very unfounded, uncharted territory. So, you know, everything we were doing at the time, it was, we were kind of just trailblazing and trial and error. So when they decided that they were going to have the schools compete against each other, I was just the guy who was around for about a year and a half, who was just doing all this analyzing and sharing his thoughts. The opportunity came and like I said, I, I was asked to, I was asked to coach the team. My initial reaction was a no. Um, and then it was, can you at least run our tryouts? And my answer was yes. 
And then of course, <laughs> once you've, once you've gone through the tryout, you know, you, you wanted to stick with it. So yeah, we went undefeated that year, a uh, very tournament based uh, type of system we have here. Uh, and yeah, the rest was sort of history. I wouldn't say the, at the time, even then, I had no idea how big dodgeball was across <laughs> the world. We were still playing in our small little fish tank here in Toronto. So over the years, you know, you start getting exposed to hearing about uh, this, you know, college teams in the States that are competing. Uh, you start to get exposed to tournaments that are happening outside of the collegiate scene. We started getting involved in tournaments that were happening in Toronto. We were a regular participant at the Detroit Cup for a number of years. So, you know, I'd say over the years... Uh, in those first four or five years, we we kind of spread our our wings as hawks and and sort of you know going to these uncharted territories and and that's when the competitive sort of fuel came in where you know we wanted to be the best collegiate team not just in the province in the country and one you know hope the hope was to be the one of the best in North America. <laughs> it's funny I was about to ask about the Detroit Cup because you you said you lived in Toronto so it's not that far from you. There's a couple Canadian teams that come to mind that I want to throw your way and find out if, if they're a part of the Humber learning tree or if they're just a part of your neck of the woods, so to speak. Uh, fluorescence? The fluorescence existed back when I was in my first couple of years at, uh, at Humber. Didn't coach any of them until some of them made their way out to Canada. So Maddie Silvera, Jessica Quinn. Uh, for example, they, they are staples in our national program here. So uh, I've coached them. Maddie was a young, young pup at the time when fluorescence was there. He's actually my captain now for the Mavericks. So mm. Maddie and I reunited and he actually went through uh, a couple of other colleges here in Toronto, George Brown and Seneca specifically. So Maddie and I have crossed paths quite a bit. Jess was actually a Humber college alumni. She's actually oh. inducted in the hall of fame. Um, oh, not wow. for dodgeball, not, yeah, not for dodgeball for baseball, but she uh, she actually competed for the North Campus, which is a rival of Lakeshore. So she wasn't under my learning tree per se at, at uh, during the time at Humber, but again, we became uh, acquainted through the national program. But fluorescence, hell of a co-ed team. <laughs> they had some. They always uh, always were neck and neck with Powerite and the Kisser uh, during that era of co-ed dodgeball here. Uh, that was going to be the next team that I that I was going to name Powerite and the Kisser. Anyone yeah, from your learning tree or people you just know in general? Yeah, no one from Pow specifically under uh, – well, Shauna Rowe actually ended up on Pow for a little bit, and she was under the Humber Lakes for learning tree. Uh, she was one of the – one of um, our top prospects that, you know, we're really proud to work with and develop over those years. But, again, with Pow, you know, there's, there's the infamous Jeff Snow and – I sort of got had the privilege to coach him over the number of years during Team Canada, not Humber per se, um, but that was a you know obviously one one of the top club teams I think in the world was was POW and they had a tremendous amount of success both here in Canada and the U.S. and kind of paved the way for a lot of club teams for here in Canada. But yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't, again they those were players that I would have coached much later in my Team Canada career, not necessarily coming directly from Humber College. And okay, so how long did how long did you stay as a coach for um, for Humber before you became the coach for Team Canada? So I'm still actively the coach for Humber. Actually, it's the longest spot I've been. So we haven't <laughs> uh, the team hasn't been in in existence during COVID. Um, so the, the seasons have been canceled, but I am, I'm still currently the head coach of 
Humber. Team Canada, my first uh, my first call up was for women's in 2015 when the tournament was in LA. Uh, and then in 2016, oh, wow. I, I added the men's to my list of responsibilities and held both of those posts up until stepping down about uh, two and a half months ago. Well, you said, you said Worlds in 2015, right? Yeah, Worlds in 2015. Uh, when was it was in Vegas. Sorry, Vegas. You're right. Sorry, Vegas <laughs> in 2015. I was the, like, um... The cities all start to get blurred together after a while, but you're right. Well, when you go to Vegas, there. everything gets blurred for <laughs> It's it's true, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a hot time, and it was at the basketball academy there. That's right. <laughs> so, all right, so um, let, let's uh, let's get to it. When how, how did you feel when you got that uh, call or email or message, sort of getting the call up to coach for uh, Worlds in 2015? Like, how did that feel? Like you're coaching your local college club at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're good. How did, how did that feel? Like, oh, I'm getting to coach the whole whole nation, putting the whole nation on my back. Well, I was excited. I mean, one thing, you know, after all these years, you kind of forget a little bit about your history. But, you know, a step back there, in 2013, when the tournament was going to New Zealand, I was actually asked to coach the women's team um, and decided to sort of quickly resign with, like, weeks after accepting the position. I just didn't feel, <laughs> I just didn't feel ready at the time. I mean, to be quite mm. honest with you, um, you know, I was a couple of years in coaching at Humber, but uh, it was it was quite intimidating in 2013 to sort of get that opportunity. Uh, the Canadian teams that were, were in their golden years at the time, I knew there was a lot of pressure riding on that, but she, both teams ended up winning gold that year. Um, so when 2015 came around, I was I was far more comfortable in the role. I'd been coaching at Humber for a number of years. I had coached both men's and women's teams at Humber as well individually. So it felt ready. Uh, the women's team was coming off a, a quite a poor performance at following Hong Kong the year before. So I knew there was going to be an appetite to sort of do things a bit differently, um, not necessarily just inherit um, a template that you would just sort of push through. And that's sort of my specialty is having the opportunity to create a little bit of a program. So felt very ready. Very privileged, very honored. Uh, first time at Worlds, you're, you're sort of getting exposed to meeting all these different people. And it's a little bit of a weird feeling showing up, not really knowing anybody. But as you know better <laughs> than I do, I mean, dodgeball people are just nerds in general. So people know who you are already. And everybody's kind of knows, like everyone kind of knows you before you even have a chance to know who they are. So I remember being really caught off guard about that. But yeah, I mean, I, it, was, uh, it was a really exciting time in, in my period, and I was grateful for the one opportunity. At the time, I had no idea it was going to manifest into inheriting the men's team and sort of staying with the team for, for six years. That, that was something that was also unexpected at the time. <laughs> so I, I actually didn't know you turned it down in 2013, and then in 2015. <laughs> in 2015, yeah. you're like, let me come to Vegas. <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, at the time, like, you got to go back to that time, right? And, and I've been thinking about that a lot heading into the podcast. Like, like I said, practices and things, they weren't common, right? Like, it really wasn't, no. Your, your typical dodgeball practice at 24 and 2014 and 2015 was just a bunch of people really just coming, scrimmaging and throwing around. Now, at Humber, we were already implementing and developing drills that were specific to sort of 
different technical attributes that you would want to cultivate to make yourself a great dodgeball player. I was often, even up until 2015, I was often the guy who had the team that everybody laughed at. Like we were, we, I was getting laughed at left, right and center for being the guy in a tracksuit and a clipboard instructing teams, yelling at teams. I, the, if I had a dollar every time someone said to me, Oh, a dodgeball practice. What do you, what are you guys doing a dodgeball practice today? So in 2013, I definitely didn't feel like I was going to be the guy who was going to show up and do all these things. The players just wanted to scrimmage and they just wanted to throw balls at people. That's all they cared about and playing time. 2015 yeah. was more or less the same, but <laughs> obviously it wasn't working for the team at the time coming out of Hong Kong and, and dodgeball was starting to turn a leaf. Um, I think, I think some people were starting to get interested in, you know, I think people started realizing you can't just show up and scrim all the time and get better. Like there's things that you can be doing on and off the court. That's specific training that's going to evolve you. And at that time, I think is when, um, I knew that my place in the sport nationally was, was about to sort of take off because, uh, the guy that I think <laughs> I think people laughed at was starting to be a guy that I think a few folks were interested to hearing more from. So, oh, I would definitely agree. The only reason I would say, at least for me, um, I'm not laughing at the fact that you're a coach. I'm just laughing at the fact that you had, you had a, like a tearaway jumpsuit, tracksuit on the sidelines. Really, all yeah, the coaching I mean, apparel on the planet, all the Sergio. influences that we have, you Sergio. you decided to go with the tracksuit like you're from The Sopranos. Sergio. No, no, no. You're making me sound like I was a backstreet boy. Though I want to be very clear. Those those pants were not are not tearaways. They are the Adidas Tiro pants. And I just want to make it very clear that never once have these clothes ever ripped off. Uh, All right, fair enough. I remember fair I actually enough. remember a side story. I remember in 2018 uh, when we were in LA. Uh, I was we. I went with the all white tracksuit, and I just had the. T- I just had this feeling that what it was, wasn't. Well, I th- the tracksuit's just a signature look. It's just what I feel most. Yeah, at this point, quite honest. I mean, to be honest with you, I'll be real with you. It's what Humber gave me, so it's just what I've always coached. Okay. With. So the pants, the zip up, like it's just what I'm. It's the Adidas, it's what I'm familiar with. <laughs> so when branching off to Team Canada or the Mavericks, I just stick to what I know. Um, but in 2018, we went with the all white and I knew something didn't feel right. And it wasn't until I got into, like, out of the car in the parking lot, Andrew Ketchum was watching, walking by and he made some comment like, Oh, where's the, where's the rest of the members of NSYNC? And in that moment, I knew that this all, this all white tracksuit was the worst fashion mistake I have ever made wait, wait. in my coaching career, but you said it was Ketchum that made that comment? It was, or? It was Ketchum with that with that little grin on his face <laughs> made some comment about looking like a member of NSYNC. And next thing you know, I, I remember looking at my phone and somehow people back home had already gotten photos of me wearing this tracksuit. Like, it, it, was, it was such a conversational piece that like even coming back and going to tryouts, <laughs> I remember people asking me, dude, what was with the white suit? Like... Anyway, so it's funny you bring up the the tearaways. Uh, that is a is a fashion no no. I'll never make again in twenty eighteen. Uh, the track. I mean, look, we got coaches wearing you know kind of button ups and you know co- you know sweater vests and stuff like that. You came in with a tracksuit, man. 
Like, hey, the tracksuit's a staple. It's not going It's a staple. I get it. And, you know, there's some sentimental value to it, but I'm not going to lie. You kind of like a Canadian soprano, you know what I mean? Like, you just <laughs> – that's what I'm thinking, man. <laughs> but, all right, so let's get to uh, – what was your overall experience like in L.A.? Uh, in 2018, L.A.? Yeah, other than, you know, the conversation starter. Yeah, I mean, L.A. was uh... – was an interesting year for us. I mean, let's, when I look at sort of the, you know, my, my time with team Canada 2018, we, we kind of walked into LA with some really high expectations. We, we decided to make some definitive changes in our program. You know, we, you got to take a step back from LA in, in 2016, we had a men's team that won gold and a women's team that got silver in 2017, when we hosted in Toronto, we had a men's team that got silver and, and were a couple games shy of winning gold and a women's team that we thought had it completely underachieved uh, and got fourth. So LA was a real question mark. And on the women's side, we had some really high hopes and unfortunately fell short of expectations again with a fourth place finish. And our boys, uh, our boys got, um, they got hammered by the Americans in the semis there. We, uh, we didn't show up the way that we wanted to, unfortunately, and, and it was our first bronze medal um, in a while. Overall, my experience at LA was really focused more on the performance. Like, I, I think we all showed up like with a business mindset. Um, so overall, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good experience. Um, but unfortunately, when I think of LA, I, I definitely. Um, think more about the results of the performance of our team than I do about the overall experience that we had uh, in the city. Mm. And um, how is your how's um, the the after effects of LA? How did that lead into the, your preparation for uh, Cancun? Yeah, LA. Uh, LA. We took a, a really hard look in the mirror and, and, and made the decision that we thought we were on the right track with the program. Uh, when you look at Cancun and, and you look at sort of we did, we, we, we achieved some first. We got a bit younger. Uh, if you actually look at Cancun, I think almost 50% of our roster was, was made up of either a sophomore. So we either played for one year for Team Canada or less, which um, was a massive transition and a testament to sort of our program and our ability to develop a deeper pipeline here in Canada. So it, 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 it set the tone that we were going to continue our evolution. Um, we, we believe that with the Americans sort of coming out uh, in the last couple of years, there's just so much depth in the States, right? I mean, when, when you look at the, the state, the, the U.S. team that we competed against in Melbourne in our last gold medal for men's, and you look at the U.S. teams they're fielding now, it's a different ballgame, right? We're, I've always said it. We're, we're never going to compete fi- the, our, like the offense and the firepower of the Americans, um, so we've been trying to uncover new ways of how to play as a team. Uh, there's a lot of trial and error. Uh, there's a lot of creativity that goes into that, but it's how do you start to bridge those gaps? So that's what we did in Cancun. Um, I thought I thought overall our performance in Cancun was was great. I mean, I, I really do for both teams. Uh, we just got to the semifinal roadblock, uh, and unfortunately, both teams didn't pull the trigger there. Um, the men's is secured bronze, and the women's. Uh, fourth again so it was a progressive year you look at the round robin results they were fantastic um the, the, the players played extremely well despite some injuries and some folks who couldn't join us last minute so yeah it, it, la set the tone for for cancun and 
uh, you know, until the pandemic had disrupted everything, I fully <laughs> believe that we were onto something pretty special there. I mean, <clears throat> this is just coming from me. Yeah, like, I, I, I wouldn't, how, how do I say this? I always look at Canada as a threat. So let's say one year you guys could be in fourth place. You guys are not what I call perennial or historical. You guys are not perennially outside of the top three. You know what I mean? No, no, you're like you're at, yeah, put you're you guys place, to yeah. put you guys in fourth place. If you really break it down, a lot of work had to be put into it. A lot of a lot of dirt, you know, a lot of hands in the dirt, you know, in the trenches had to be dug in to, to make that happen. You guys are no totally. easy feat. Totally. I, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, like our, our men's team has medaled at every world championship. And I always think they're one game from like they've always been just a, a game or two removed from playing, uh, you know, for that for that gold. Um, the women are a terrific group of women. They're highly skilled, highly talented. Um, unfortunately, just over the last couple of years, we just haven't been able to overcome that that semifinal hump. Um, and I've always believed that bronze is a battle for those who can get over the set, the, the loss from the day before. It's nothing, mm. nothing more, nothing less, right? It tests your resilience. Um, and unfortunately, for for our side, despite some you know some really good fight in those bronze medal matches, um, I just I just don't think we we, we truly got over. Uh, what had happened the night before that put us in that match to begin with. So, uh, like I said, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of both teams, and I appreciate you saying that because I, I feel the same way. I don't think Canada's a has-been by any means. But, no, by know, no just, by no stretch of the imagination. I think – I mean, I would say I, I think I would not – I would not hope being an American fan and a USA hopeful, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, – at some point this decade or even the start of the next one, um, you might, you guys might run off two or three, you know, gold medals in a row. Cause you guys you, like to kind of break it down um, to the people at home who don't watch the phone game as much. I would say Canada, like he says, may not have the depth and arms that the USA have. Um, I could say maybe four of their players off the top of the head really can fling it like an American. If you want to go there. But they're very regimented. They are like they're like a constantly configurating jigsaw puzzle on the court, and you can see that in how they adapt to whatever situation they're presented with, whether they're on the men's side or the women's side. There's a certain identity attached to how they play, and I would argue this is the architect right here in Vic. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It's definitely. Definitely uh, a committee of people behind it as well, and, and you know, collaborating with a lot of great minds here. But I, 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 I think any the best compliments I ever receive is when I hear that teams are playing in an orchestrated uh, and well constructed fashion. I think to me that says that we're doing our job as a coaching staff, um, and so I, I appreciate those words, and I, I can't wait to see. Uh, I hope you're right. I hope we get a couple of uh, great medals uh, this decade. And, I mean, uh, I think I, I think it'll happen. I hope it'll happen. I'm just saying, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, time, time will. T- I mean, right now, I mean, with with the pandemic, right? It's uh, it's who's coming out of this pandemic ready, right? Like, in and Canada, unfortunately, with with given the restrictions and and sort of we where we've been at as a country, let alone what's going on in the provinces, we're we're coming out a lot slower than I would say. 
the US and, and Malaysia and Australia. So there's a lot of work cut out for us here uh, to get back to where we were. I forget just the playing and the talent just to start opening up those opportunities again for leagues to be operating at 100%, for there to be a, a tournament circuit in place, for there to be the opportunities for, for training and development. Like we're just opening up now. We've got a provincial championship happening this weekend. Um, yeah. And I think I think the last tournament anyone played in was in Quebec in November, and that was the first tournament in two years. So yeah. there hasn't been a lot happening here. Um, but you know, if it's not if it's not this tournament coming up, I've got dodgeball, especially foam, is in our DNA here, um, and I've got no doubt that the leagues will get back to. Um, Sorry about that. I, I know if I could. Have, I think the leagues will get back to being fully operational. We'll have more tournaments, and I think we'll get back to the Canadian way of dodgeball real soon out here. Yeah, I'm definitely going to tune into that on Twitch uh, this weekend. Um, it's on Dodgeball Canada's Twitch channel. I'll, I'll post a link once this episode airs because uh, there's definitely been some good games. Um, yeah. I was going to ask. So I know you say you weren't really like the athlete growing up, but um, but you were always the analytical one. So. Did you have any coaches or someone like you, you idolized growing up that kind of helped molded that mentality or, or, or what? Yeah. And if you to that question, do you have any like role models like in dodgeball or people you respect in dodgeball? Yeah. I think the first question, so there was, there's two standouts from my high school that, uh, that I definitely respected. One was, uh, a coach by the name of Mr. Laurie of our wrestling team in high school. I think this guy had lit. We, I went to a pretty small high school of maybe 600, 700 students, which is quite small in comparison to some of the size of the high schools uh, from where, where I grew up. He was a real, um, I remember it was my grade nine gym teacher and he made me redo the shuttle run. Cause I, I was smiling while I ran it, but he <laughs> led, uh, yeah, it was a, he was a real prick, but, you know, he uh, he led this wrestling team to like twenty consecutive gold medals, like just oh, wow. just banners and banner. Our gym was just decorated in these wrestling banners, and I always really admired his just tough approach to coaching. Um, and you know, despite on the outside of what you thought, you know, he was this ass. You know, he was this arrogant. His his athletes loved him and they admired him and you know we'd see alumni year after year coming out and just come and say hi to him and just really praise him as not just as a coach but as a person. I remember really thinking a lot about that in my early years in high school, uh, and I definitely admired sort of his contributions to the sport and just the relationships he was able to cultivate with athletes without having to be the players' coach or be just that goofball coach and I, I i love that and the second one would have been uh the volleyball coach at our high school who gave uh who gave me the shot to sort of learn volleyball and and to coach on the sidelines and to introduce me the opportunity to coach a women's volleyball team at 15 years old um i i remember i'll never forget being a 15 year old trying to tell players ideas or who's playing and not playing and just instantly of course they're they're your classmates, right? So they're laughing at you, but she was the first one who just sort of asked everyone to knock it off and just let me run through with my ideas. Uh, and my twin brother was actually the captain and the setter of that team. And mm. I remember requesting for him to be pulled off 
the court because he just wasn't following instructions and being a little bit of a dick himself. But <laughs> I remember my brother just coming off the court staring like, are you joking? Like, you're going to let him take me up? And her response is, yes, sit down. And at that point, I just felt really empowered at a young age to to continue to lead and make those decisions. So I, 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 I remember those two being um, role models for me. Your question, second question was role models in the sport of dodgeball. Oh man, there's, there's quite a few. I, I, you know, I didn't have any coaching role models in the sport. I mean, at the time and still to this day, I'm, I'm definitely for many years, I was the only one. I know Mike Moffat was coaching there around London, but we're kind of coaching at the same time and, and we didn't really uh, cross paths that much. So I didn't really have any dodgeball coach role models. Um, mm. But when I think of people who've inspired me and some of the legacies they've built, you know, I, I go back to, the, the team, some of the people in the teams in the very beginning, the community builders, I think of Jen Ritchie, who, you know, was, was a captain of mine for many years on Team Canada and is an absolute legend. And, you know, she was a massive community builder uh, in my early years and was one of the first to sort of welcome uh, me to the broader community. Dave Kuttner, former captain of POW in, in Team Canada, you know, POW right in the kisser. I remember my, I think my first tournament with Humber, uh, was at a beach tournament, and I remember it was Kuttner, uh, Dan Bizicott, uh, and Eric Ceruto were the first ones to come up to me and sort of ask about Humber and who I was and what I was doing. Um, and those guys were all, you know, pioneers of the sport and early adopters, uh, and they were, you know, at the time in their mid-20s. So those are, those are some names early on who, you know, I leaned on and I had a, a, a huge amount of respect for for what they were able to do for the sport where I, where I'm from here in Ontario and in Toronto. And then in my later years, you know, I, I've got to meet some community builders all across the country. I think of Matt Lawrence and PEI uh, and what he built out there. I think of Spencer Sorrow and Lynn Kirkpatrick in Ottawa and the community they were able to build there. Matt Klachewski in Winnipeg. Um, you know, I think of Dwayne Wazinski uh, and, and, and the team out there in Edmonton. So in my, in my later years, I've definitely found an inspiration from these community builders all across the country here. It's definitely a, a solid list that you put together there. Now I'm going to ask you, um, well, I'm going to modify this cause you've never actually, you never played. So, um, who's your rival coach or rival organization that when you play at that national level, like, you know, you got to be on your A game for yeah, good questions. I mean, uh, I, it's funny. So uh, Albert Tran was 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 a coach in Malaysia there a number of years, and sort of when I was getting going with Canada, uh, I think Malaysia and Canada were sort of the main rivals between 2015, 2016, and 2017. And he was leading Malaysia, and, and I was leading Canada respectively. And so uh, he was a coach that I definitely uh, think butt heads with. Uh, and there was a there was a mutual respect there. Um, but we, 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 we sort of always saw each other in the finals there for men's and women's and, uh, the matches always got a little bit heated. Um, so I'd say he always sticks out as, as, as someone that I looked forward to coaching against at that time, uh, rival organizations. I mean, I've, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to hide it. I've, I've, I've always enjoyed my matchups against, uh, the Malaysians. Uh, I think hmm. When you look at sort of what I do at Humber and you look at my club team, the Mavericks, um, you know, I, 
they're what you might call undersized players with just, you know, just a ton of energy and, and, and sort of really cultivating an environment that embraces defense is something that I, 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 I typically lean in and specialize. So when I look at Malaysia, you know, they're doing a lot of things there that, you know, I'm kind of trying, I'm teaching here and trying to emulate here or recreating here or, 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 um, thinking of other concepts within that same vein of style of play. So always, always consider them a rival organization, but I mean, hell like Dodgeball USA, it doesn't get much better than a Canadian U S rivalry. It doesn't matter <laughs> if it's, if it's tournament teams or if it's worlds, it's always, it's always a fun, um, fun rivalry. And, and we've got a little bit of a thing going with Australia in these past couple of years too. And, you know, Nico and Devram have done a, a marvelous job with the Australian team out there. And I've always looked forward to my matchups there because it's it's quite uh, – it's it's like playing chess when you're playing against Australia as well. So there's a lot of strategy um, that, that's involved in, in, in playing an opponent like them. So I've basically said almost everybody, but <laughs> – <laughs> so, so you're implying it's Canada versus everyone? Uh, it's Canada versus everyone, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> but if, if you put an asterisk on it, it's Canada versus Malaysia, US, and Australia, according to my answer. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. Um, do you have a pregame ritual before a tournament or a provincial, like to get your headspace in the right uh, – head in the right yeah, space, think, sorry, uh, prior to yeah, coaching? Yeah, I think for 12 years, nothing's ever changed. I think I've coached in, in more tournaments than I'll ever be able to count. But uh, I think it's on in, in the morning. I'm always writing in my notebook. Uh, it's it's always a pre two pregame meets with the team right before uh, we get to the venue and right before, right when we're uh, about to take the court and play. Um, if you actually ever catch me at Worlds or anything, you'll usually watch me pacing around, walking the court, touching the yep. floor getting getting uh familiar <laughs> with the lines so i'm it's one of my pre-games just so i can be kind of get acquainted with the court uh and uh i think those are the ones that really stand out for me there's probably some other things if you ask some of the assistants i've worked with or players i've coached in the past but those those ones are definitely um are, are led with intent by me yeah um it, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the, the floor thing I sometimes whenever that like I'll see footage of you or pictures of you there's it's you're always like what I call scanning you're like walking the boundaries touching the corners and the touching the corners part is what caught caught my eyes because um I don't know if you're familiar but with uh kickboxing a lot of times as fighters enter the ring they touch the four corners and I thought in some ways you had some kind of kickboxing background because not only do you do that to like the boundaries but you do that to like two or three of the corners. You don't go all the way, but while you're scanning, you're tapping the corners. And I'm like, yeah. okay, this guy yeah. has, he's not going to fight. All right, I know only a handful <laughs> of people know that tradition, and I just exposed it. But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely can't fight other than, <laughs> other, other than with my words. But no, I mean, I, 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 I come from a tennis background. Um, so like, I, I did play tennis growing up. So court sports is something I'm familiar with. I, it's just a habit I, I, I kind of picked up really early on, which is just to get really comfortable and familiar with my space. Yes, 
I'm known to pace quite a bit, and I'm a definitely <laughs> a re- I'm definitely a ref's worth worst nightmare for it obstructing their views and uh stepping on the court when i'm not supposed to i think they, they've they've tried to introduce this box where coaches can't pass and i absolutely refuse to see that rule go through because i know i'm about to let the team down um, um but yeah I, I i can be i like to get involved i like to get involved i think just when when the play is happening i just i like to see you know i i like to be the seventh guy out there as much as i possibly can um, and and uh, stick with the play and try to just give myself all sorts of different angles to to see things. And I think part of being a teacher is just that, right? Like, yeah, you know, you go to the back, like the looking at the positioning of the players, where their feet are, like, are they where? What degree angle are their bodies from? Like, there's just certain things you can't see from your typical view. So I think just being a teacher for so long in the sport, you're just constantly just trying to observe things from all different angles um, so that you can give your best sort of advice and see things that from, from your, from your player's perspective that you can't just see, you know, standing statically beside a ref for, for a 20 or 40 minute match. Yeah. uh, I also noticed Uh, that. I will also say the other uh, free ritual that I have is if you actually look at my pockets, the left-hand pockets filled with gum, and the second right hand pocket is filled with Advil slash Tylenol. So that's, uh, that's right. also true. So if you ever see me popping something into my mouth, it's either Tylenol or gum. I got to ask, why? Why either? I, I think uh, the gum is just definitely more of a relaxant. I think I've always just chewed gum while coaching. Uh, you, usually if things start to get stressful, you'll see me pop it in my mouth. I think it just keeps me calm. Uh, the Tylenol and Advil is just really bad headaches. I'm just like, there's, there's just times where uh, I remember when, when Canada beat the U.S. in the semifinals of 2017 at Markham Pan Am uh, after being down 7-1 there. I, like, if you actually look, like, I, I think I pretty much speed walk off the court. Like, my head is ready to explode. Just the noise, <laughs> the yelling, like, it's just so much, like, pressure. Um and so the Tylenol and Advil has always just been more for uh, just some chronic headaches that kind of ensue throughout the duration of Worlds. And, you know, I, it, tournaments are rough on everyone's bodies. Like, for me, especially coaching two teams at Worlds, you're kind of always on your feet. You're always pacing. You're, con- you know, you're, you're responsible for all these athletes. You just – there's not a lot of time to rest and sit. So I think it just is a – as a, a symptom of just having so much to do and your mind being in so many different places and your body just physically not being ready. Uh, I remember my pocket was open in 2017 and they had to stop the gameplay and it was Klachewski who was rapping. And I remember he finally gave me his final warning and he yelled, Vic, I need you to get off the court. I need you to move out of my way. I need you to get your pills off the court. Uh, and they were just... <laughs> all over the place so uh yeah that's a little bit of background on on, on those two things I, did, I definitely didn't want to forget those <laughs> i mean it's an odd combination gum and tylenol but it makes sense when you break it down um hey, okay, you don't listen to me it, it, i'm not gonna argue the science of it i mean if it works it works um do you have any like pre-game music you like to like to listen to or like uh, any like music to amp up your team 
I leave the music to the athletes to pick. I think they prefer it that way. Uh, sometimes I, I take control of the practice playlist, but oftentimes someone just ends up syncing it to their own phone. So no, not for me. I like to listen to a lot of instrumental jazz when I'm sort of calming myself down. So if I'm listening to any music on my own, it's probably that. Um, <laughs> but no, 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 no music or anything to amp me up. I'm, I'm pretty wired by like 4.30 a.m. On, on a tournament day, ready for everyone to wake up. <laughs> pretty wired oh, on a tournament day. That's a perfect way of uh, going at it. Um, before we go into these, uh, some of these crowdsource questions, on December 22nd, uh, Dodgeball Canada announced that you stepped down as a head coach. Um, why, why did you think it was time for you to step down? Like, what, how long did it, yeah. for, did it take for you to come to that uh, decision? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, it, by far the most difficult decision I think I've ever had to make. Um, for those who know me here, uh, you know, I, I absolutely love coaching uh, and I've loved coaching the national team. Uh, it's, it's a program that I'm, I'm proud to have helped build for, for a number of years now. You know, I think what's true for a lot of people who are coming out of this pandemic, it forces you to, to just really reprioritize. Uh, and uh, I accepted a new job at the start of January that was, was going to demand a lot more of my time and attention. Um, and you know, that was something that was a fact, a big factor in that as I, as I had some professional goals I wanted to accomplish, uh, and sort of just looking at the year ahead, I just, I just knew that I couldn't be the team Canada coach that, um, I, that the players have gotten accustomed to having, and I couldn't be the program architect. And I think that's just the, the big thing for me, which was just really managing expectations and feeling like if I couldn't deliver on the standard in which I'm accustomed to delivering, um, then it's probably time to just to take a step back and, and let some new coaches come in who can deliver on, on the mandate that the, and objectives that them and DC collectively agree on. So but it, it, honestly, like I said, one of the hardest decisions, I think we were very careful to frame it. Uh, it wasn't a retirement by any means. Um, you know, my, my hope is that with worlds moving to an every two year schedule after this, that, you know, if things change in life where 2024 can permit uh, a return to the national team and it makes sense for both parties, that being myself and Dodgeball Canada, um, then I'm, I'm open to that. But I just, I just couldn't be uh, Coach Vic and Team Canada's coach in 2022 the way that I think people really needed me to be. Uh, and recognizing that it was, uh, it was time to just say, uh, see you later for now. And, I like how you phrase. Yeah, and that being said, like I'm still coaching Humber and the Mavericks, so I still get yeah. my dodgeball fix there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and that—that's something I was gonna like say. You're just stepping down from the national team, not Mavericks or Humber. You know, okay. you, you'll be back. I, I could, I could see, I, I could see you coming back at some point. So this is more of like a see you later, not like we'll see you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we will see exactly. you in the Hall of Fame, but <laughs> when, when that retirement speech comes, <laughs> this isn't a retirement speech. This is more like, you know, let me just put in my uh, vacation time. I mean, I mean <laughs> look, when, when I saw Brady do what he did the other day, there, like, oh, so I, 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 I guess I'm back already. You, I mean, no, you got to wait six weeks. Brady literally <laughs> came back yesterday. That, it's well, true. Technically, technically, we're way past six weeks. 
I'm over. You're overdue. You're overdue. This was on December 22nd. They announced it. So you're overdue for a return. I can't wait for people to listen to this podcast and be like, wow, he gave us every indication that he was coming back <laughs> days ago. You know uh, what? <laughs> no, the funny thing is, as of recording, he's retired. I'm just going to let the viewers know he's retired. But I'm going to release this episode. And once I release this episode under the assumption that he stayed retired on Wednesday when I'm editing this, he's going to come back and say, hey, guys, I'm back for Edmonton. He's going to pull a Tom Brady on me right now. <laughs> don't worry, Sergio. When I'm ready to announce it, you'll be sure to get the exclusive on it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, no. I know I, I know I will. <laughs> we cool. I know I know I will. I'm just going to laugh at the fact, like, like how I'm like I, how I phrased it. Like you're retired now, but once I release this episode, you're gonna announce that you're coming back before I, re- you know, before I release this episode. But um, there was a guy who spent half a million dollars on the last touchdown Tom Brady threw the the ball, <laughs> and he came back yesterday. And I'm like, wow, okay, you, you sure you got a good uh, return on your investment there, buddy. Um, yeah, all right, so let's get into these uh, crowdsource questions. Um, so Hannah Catterall, she asked everyone this question. Um, what are you grateful for today? What am I grateful today for today? Uh, I think non-related, uh, unrelated to dodgeball. Sure. I think for just good health and the health of my family and friends. Um, very fortunate that uh, the people that I care most deeply about are, are healthy and they're well. Um, and that they're, they're doing the things that make them special dodgeball related. Um, I think I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm most grateful for, it sounds cliche, but honestly, just the players that I've had the, like the opportunity to coach. I mean, I've been blessed with coaching just hundreds of players in the last 12, 13 years. And they've given me nothing but their time, trust and commitment. Um, you know, kind of just, especially in the last, I'd say eight years where, you know, people come in and, and they just listen because you're, you're Vic and they're supposed to listen. And, um, I just, I'm just so forever grateful for their attention and their devotion, uh, and their passion and the sweat and the blood and the tears that they, they've given any of the teams that I've coached for. Um, if, if it wasn't for them, I, I just, I would have been gone a long time ago, but every year there's just new faces and new people who want to learn and they, they, they hope to get better and, and they trust you blindly to help them do that. And I'm just forever grateful for having that type of trust and, and loyalty over the years. That's a perfect se- That answer is a perfect segue to um, my next question. How does it feel to have so many Canadian legends credit you for being under their, under your learning tree? Like I, I've interviewed some Canadians recently, uh, as you would know, and in some way or another, you coached them at either Humber or the national level or both. It's like your fingerprint is essentially on most of Team Canada. So how does that feel, having that kind of lineage? Yeah, I, mean, I, guess- I mean, you asked me the question. It's like it's – and I've also never heard anyone use the term learning tree with me before. So <laughs> I, I like it. But I mean, like, like I said, like, I, I just feel privileged. I feel absolutely privileged. I feel privileged that the sort of ambassadors of the sport prior to me being Canada's coach 
you know, allowed me to come in and, and bring in new ideas and thinking um, and, and change things around even when it was uncomfortable. Um, I'm privileged for the players that I've, I've got to meet at Humber and see evolve, uh, you know, into some, into some phenomenal players, not just here in the province or the country, but the world. And it's just an absolute honor. Like I, it really is. I, um, it's not lost on me when I walk into tournaments and gyms anymore, um, that I, I don't look around and just see the growth and the, and it's, it's really what they put into it, right? Like, Mm. They didn't have to go to practices. They didn't have to accept that concept. No one, no one, no one was forcing anybody to do anything. So when I, when I go to a tournament, I remember it was in, uh, after we got back from Melbourne and I remember Jason Mergler and I were walking the tournament at London. And I remember one of my moments was looking at everyone literally using the same stretching uh, regimen and routine that we had just seen with the national program the year before and in that moment, I just felt so proud to just and privileged to just look around and see everybody sort of adopting this, like these ideas. Um, and I, and I, and it, the, the hat goes off to, to all of those players, even the ones that I didn't coach who um, played a role in sort of legitimizing the sport um, in a way that not one or two or, or three people could have ever done. So <laughs> You're like I said, your your fingerprint is on <laughs> nearly everything in Canada. Um, the final question I have for you, and I'm gonna let you go off with this one if you like. Are you prepared to announce your replacement? If you're not, what piece of advice would you give them to make their job easier? So I, I can say I am aware of who is who who are, is coming into the team. Uh, it's more than one person. I. There's okay. several there's several coaches that are coming in to assist with uh, men's and women's and, and now co-ed both cloth and foam. So, uh, am I prepared to share? It is. It's not my news to share. So I'll, I'll wait fair. for. I'll wait to see my advice. I mean, I, I've spoken to some of them um, already, and, and like I've said to them, my my door's always open if they ever want to bounce ideas and if they ever or they're ever looking for any type of counsel, but my advice is this, it's not, and I said it, I said it to, to one of them two days ago, you're not inheriting the program that existed in 2019 too much in the world has changed. And so I think that the approach to the teams this year needs to be balanced with the understanding of, of where we are at today um, in the sport of dodgeball in Canada, resources, timing, financial constraints, um, and so I, I don't think there's a template that you can just take from 2019 and say, yeah, we're going to run with it. So it's going to need to have a hybrid approach. And I, my, my biggest thing when I came into the team as a brand new coach, especially with the boys in 2016, um, was a lot of collaboration, right? Like you, you, I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think a lot of people see me as this guy who just sort of says, this is how it's going to be. And this is the way that it is. Uh, and as the years have gone on, it might be a little bit of that, but it always starts starts from a place of collaboration. And so I think whoever's coming into this role, they're going to need to collaborate with any of the players that are returning. It's They're going to need to define what success looks like as a collective, and they're going to need to manage their expectations. That being said, it doesn't mean that they can't surpass their expectations, but right. I think the the ultimate goal is you're not, you're not taking the tarp off a Ferrari that got parked in 2019. 
Um, so build something that makes the most sense uh, and go out and play like hell. Like that's my advice to any coach <laughs> or, or or player that's going to be suited up for Team Canada, men's, women's, co-ed, cloth, foam, I don't care. Like that's, <laughs> that's got to be the mentality. So manage expectations, train hard, keep your nose clean, heads down, keep it freaking simple and go out there and swing. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not Canadian, so I would say the only advice I would give, not just to any Canadian coach coming in to fill, fill up a Vic spot, but just any coach in general, understand the team you have, whether it's men's, whether it's women's, whether it's co-ed, modify how you approach your team based on who you have. So if you have a team of women who respond better as a drill, as a drill instructor, be that drill instructor. If you, if you kind of need to, you know, take your foot off just a bit, take your foot off just a bit, adjust to what you have around you. Try to, try to understand your players around you in some way, you know, still maintain that friendly relationship, but have that uh, rank and command and, and understand that rank and command. But you know, like like Vic said, you're not taking the tarp off a of Ferrari. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could tell you, if you leave your car, especially a muscle car, you know, unused over time, it's going to take some time to get that engine going. But work under that hood, and I promise you, you'll have a thing of beauty in no time. Until you play U.S. and then, you know, you guys are getting silver. Uh, I'm going to just root for the U.S. <laughs> every chance I get. <laughs> but, but no, generally, take take – Take pride in the job that you're going to do because, like Vic said, his door is always open. And yeah. I I can't imagine he wouldn't do that if he didn't respect you. Yeah. All right, man. Um, you ready to get hit in the gut with this question, man? A legacy question? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, obviously, again, just to clarify, he's not completely retired. He's just stepping back from the national team. May come back in three days. Um <laughs> But how would you like your legacy to be remembered once you finally step away from coaching in general? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I told you I'm going to hit you in the gut with this one, man. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's always a weird one to hear. But I, I feel like I've, I've thought a lot about probably my legacy more in the past year grappling with the decision that I wanted to make with stepping down that I have in the past 12. But honestly, I've got a, a very big philosophy uh, that I've adopted in coaching many, many years ago. Um, and really, I've always believed that coaching is, a, is about helping take players. It's coaching is about helping players take themselves where they can't get them, uh, where they can't get themselves to, and getting the best out of your players. And I think at the very end of the day, my hope is that um, – any players that have had the opportunity and privilege to work with, um, they can just, they can say that I helped get the best out of them, whether that's as a person or as a player. Um, it doesn't have to be attributed to gold medals or tournament success, but um, just knowing that, you know, I, I played a partnership role with them in, in helping them get to uh, where they wanted to be. I think I got a little bit of a, I think a lot of people who don't know me here, I've uh, got a little bit of a reputation uh, that's a little bit tough around the edges. Um, or it's probably just putting it nicely to some, but, uh, you know, I, I hope the legacy that I'm able to leave like across the country, um, was that I, I hope to just build a, a 
place of legitimacy for for the sport of dodgeball and just not really being scared to to try new ideas or concepts that were going to push both players and the sport forward. Um, And so I I hope you remember for that uh, one day as well. Ah, I got a lot to dive into. Um, One, it's safe to assume across Canada, whether people know you or not, they know you. Your signature is there. Your blueprint is there. Your lineage in some way is there. Like (laughs) your dodgeball lineage, I should say, um, is there. And I look at you, and like I said, like like I picked apart your habits, like sometimes on film, and yeah, the tracksuit is a signature for sure. Um, don't get into it. You you say you may not know how to fight, but you're a gangster, man. I, I got to say that. I there there's not a single game where I don't see that feistiness comes out. Like like all right, I don't know if you watch football or or soccer here in the states, but there's a coach that you kind of remind me of, but in a different way, is Jose Mourinho. Jose yeah, Mourinho. I, uh, <laughs> you know who he is? I'm, I'm very familiar with him. <laughs> <laughs> so for the people at home who have no idea who I'm talking about, Jose Mourinho is a non-apologetic, dare I say non-PC type of coach. He's going to fight for his players and – I would say the only difference between you and him is you're a little more filtered. You're a little more nice <laughs> in comparison. Um, you do not want to be on the on the bad end of Jose. And I you know, dare say if you're playing against uh, Mavericks or Team Canada or Humber, you don't want to be on the other side of Vic Gravelli, you know, fighting for his team. He he is that kind of coach. He's not, you know, he's not wasting his breath. Like he's seen something and something's off. Now, whether he's right or wrong it remains to be seen, but you're not afraid to throw yourself out there. And that's one thing that I see on, on film that I respect about you. You know, I, I genuinely respect about you. Like, I would say, <laughs> I'm going to make this reference, south of the border in Canada, you're heel, but north up there, you're, you're treated like the second coming. And when I say that, it's kind of referencing uh, Bret Hart. Okay. Yeah. 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 There, there was a there was a point in, in wrestling where Bret Hart was the villain in the United States, but when he goes up to Canada, he's all of a sudden cheered like, like he's like everything he did leading up to it didn't matter. He's yours. You right. know what I mean? So, <laughs> I would say I you captured, huh? I said I definitely appreciate that. Thank you, Sergio. But that I mean, I know it kind of sounds like I'm I'm calling you out and like saying all these things, but I say that as a fan of the sport, as someone who you give me a reason to care about Canada. You give me a reason to, you know what? I respect you, but I'm still rooting against you. Right. I respect the passion that comes through every time I see, you know, a footage of you, a footage of you with your team, a picture with you and your team. Now, like I said, we can make fun of the tracksuit all we want. They could be tra- they could be tearaways. You might have a dance routine you coming out when you return, but from bottom of my heart, man, I respect you. You a dog. Don't ever change who you are, and understand that I respect that fiery attitude. I respect the players that you that you've had under your tree. Some of some of which I already spoke to and spoke highly of. You know, after we were done recording, spoke highly of you. So it compelled me to reach out to you to share your story, and I consider it—I consider it an honor not to just share your story across Canada, but across the the world. 
So I, people are going to know who you are once you, you know, if they don't know who you are now, they'll know who you are when you return, which <laughs> should be shortly. I appreciate <laughs> that. No, I, I, I genuinely do. So thank you. <laughs> man, just, just don't ever change, man. Be that dog. Be that G. You know what I mean? No worries. No worries. I will. I will. Are you, uh, you should have, you should make your, you should have made your way out to provincials this weekend if you're not already coming. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I have a uh, team USA tryouts in, in, uh, Pennsylvania this exact weekend. So oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. We're kind of rushing our way back into it. So, <laughs> but if you don't see me on the sideline, you'll see me on your Twitter chat. Rooting for Are USA. you, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be in Seattle. I know the Mavs are heading to Seattle there for, uh, the tournament that Lucas, uh, Lucas Boyle is putting out there. If, uh, if you're out there, maybe we'll both yeah, uh, cross paths there. Yes. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely check the date and see if I can make it there because I barely heard about that yesterday. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yeah, I think they just announced it like maybe five days ago. So I think it's uh, just starting to to get some life now. <laughs> I'll definitely I'll definitely be uh, on the lookout for that. But do you have any final shout outs you like to give uh, before we wrap up? Oh, final shout outs. I don't, I feel like if I list names, I'm going to, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble here, but um, you know, I, I do. I, I think the players are all encompassing. I think a couple of, of specific shout outs for me, uh, Dwayne Wodinski, um and, and, and both past and current board of directors at Dodgeball Canada. Um, they're, they're people that I've worked with and I care about sincerely. And, and Dwayne is just an absolute legend. And you talk about Hall of Fame, and I hope he leads the, the ballot when that ever happens. Um, just an absolute legend. Um, shout out to, to all the players that I've ever coached uh, and, and had the privilege of taking the court with. I've already spoken very highly of you guys and, and what you mean to me. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to, to my current club team, the Mavericks, who are, are heading to provincials this weekend. And we've got our, our eyes on, on the top spot uh, and we're feeling really confident coming into this tournament. And I'm extremely proud of their development and progress. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that they're about to become provincial champions and uh, make their way to, to becoming Canadian champions a few months after that. So want those boys to know that, uh, I'm feeling very confident uh, heading into this coming weekend. All right. And that was my interview with Vic Gravilli. Vic, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, definitely a solid guest and definitely had some fun uh, conversations after, after recording. Um, my next guest will be LA legend uh, Ish Blanco. Um, a lot of you guys know him from uh, team doom. A lot of you guys know him. If you really go way back, um, syndicate um he's also a 2015 gold medalist he was actually the first one of the first americans to win it the nine and uh, we'll definitely go into all that once i get him on um thank you so much for you know just listening to all the episodes supporting me um haven't been in the best headspace in, the, in recent weeks but things are looking normal or beginning to look normal i should say so if you've listened up until this point, thanks so much and have a wonderful day.